Hello, everyone, and welcome in to Net Sticks and Chill for another week. Uh, joining me, Stephen Plenty, as always, is Gordon. Good enough, Gordon. How are you this morning? Uh, I'm I'm going exceptionally well after a quite a late night last night. How are you going? Yeah, it it definitely was a late one last night. Um, I don't know what time you ended up going to bed, but for me it was around two two thirty. Once the once the excitement of Australia's victory over the Netherlands for the bronze medal at the U eighteen Women's World Championships in Division Two, you know, like kind of dis uh, dissipated from my body. Like it was like it took a while for that excitement to wear off. Like it was just it was such a good game to watch and made all the much sweeter by Australia's victory. And I promise you that we will get into, into that game in depth in the third period. But as always, we started off with first period. And so we are going to wrap up the results from the weekend's action in the domestic leagues, as well as the secondary group stage results for the U18 tournament. Although I don't think I need Although I don't think they maybe need to, given that we just told you Australia's won bronze and we went over the permutations last week, but we'll do it anyway. In the Pacific Hockey League on Friday night, it was a 9-1 victory for the Adelaide Avalanche travelling up to Brisbane to face the Rampage and a 3-2 victory on Saturday for the Avalanche still in Brisbane against the Rampage while... Also, well, on Saturday, it was the Melbourne Ducks travelling up to the Central Coast for a 4-2 victory over the coast. And on Sunday, the Coast managed to split that two-game swing at home against the Ducks, winning by three goals to two. While in the Australian Ice Hockey League, uh, there were a number of games that were supposed to take place. Two of them ended up getting postponed uh, due to flight cancellations. It was the Melbourne Ice travelling up to Newcastle on Saturday for a 9-3 loss against the Newcastle North Stars, while the Sydney Bears in the Sydney Derby ran rough shot over the Sydney Ice Dogs, winning 10-3. The other game on Saturday, uh, which was supposed to see the Melbourne Mustangs hosting the CBR Brave, was postponed due to flight cancellations, and that was supposed to be the Pride game. So that's a... It's a little bit disappointing that that one had to get postponed, but I, I am sure that that one will be, will be played again at some point this season, and that the Pride game will stay, will, still take place um, on Sunday. Two games supposed to take place: uh, the Mustangs and the Brave, as mentioned, postponed due to flight cancellations. While the Sydney Bears hosted the Melbourne Ice, and that was a seven-two victory for the home side. So a two-game swing to New South Wales for the Melbourne Ice, sees them on the score five goals and leaving without a victory. The results of those group secondary group stage matchups saw Australia beat Turkey 5-0 on Friday night, while on Saturday night it was a 2-1 victory over Latvia, which saw Australia top group E and play for bronze which ended up being against the Netherlands, and that one was a 2-1 victory. The gold medal match saw Spain take on Great Britain and saw Spain run out 3-1 victors over Great Britain. I just want to go back to the Turkey game for a second. Last week, I believe Gordon predicted that Madison Smith was going to see some game time against Turkey, whereas I said that Smith wouldn't see 
any action until the game against Latvia. And I can reveal that Gordon was right. It was a blowout victory over Turkey that saw Madison Smith get some action. So congratulations, Gordon. A rare win for me. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to... No, no, it's, um, it was a, a tough call. It could have gone either way in the end, Australia. Um, they they knew that they had a back-to-back game against a tough matchup against Latvia the next night. And Olivia Last uh, had, you know, shut them out for the first two periods. Australia had a 3-0 lead. Uh, why not uh, give Madison Smith a chance to, to show what she, she was capable of? And, and she made some good saves. She preserved the shutout. So congratulations to... Madison Smith, she she worked hard to get into this tournament. It was nice to see her get some playing time. Yeah, she definitely did not look out of place. And I mean, the, the fact that she's been selected could have like basically told you that she's definitely not out of place. Turn it back to domestic action for a second. What was one thing that you liked from the weekend, Gordon? Well, even though it's it's never great to see blowouts, um, it was nice to see Henshin Kayashi get his uh, get get his hat trick against the Sydney Ice Dogs for the Sydney Bears. He ended up uh, going going out with a five point nine, I believe, three goals, two assists. So, congratulations! I, I I believe that was his first ever AIHL hat trick. Yeah, that's that's um, certainly an achievement. Five points. Um, my um my thing that I liked. Um, from the weekend, I'm going to turn my attention to the other blowout for the weekend, and that one was in the Pacific Hockey League, the 9-1 victory for the Adelaide Avalanche over the Brisbane Rampage. 15 of the 16 skaters recorded a point. There's only one player who didn't, but like it, it just goes to show you that, uh, that the Avalanche are a, an incredibly well tight-knit team that everyone on that side is important for what the Avalanche are trying to do. And so it, it, it does suck that, you know, there's one person who's left um, without a point, but the fact that, you know, everyone on the team contributed to to all those nine goals just shows just, just how well that, just how well and how close that unit is together. And so for me, that was what, that was what I liked. Uh, what was one thing you didn't like from the weekend? Well, just going back actually to to that game, I just want to say, you know, like uh, imagine being that player in the locker room, uh, how much stick they're going to get. And Adelaide Avalanche are normally known for the defense, so uh, you know, it's it's nice to see them uh, lighting it up. I, I I think the the thing that I didn't like for me was the flight cancellations. Again, we we saw it affect uh, some games in the in the PHL a week or two ago, and now it's affected games in the in the AIHL cancelling the uh, or postponing the, the Pride game. I know um, I have some friends of mine who are, uh, live in Canberra, are big CBR Brave supporters and drove to Melbourne, checked into the hotel, and then were notified that the game wasn't going to be played. Uh, so that that's probably one thing uh, out of the league's control, but one thing that, you know, was disappointing from the weekend. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I was going to go as well. It's it's disappointing. Like uh, I understand the the realities of the situation, and I'm certainly not putting any blame uh, onto so onto the league or onto the teams or anything like that. You know, it, it's just it's just so disappointing that the Pride game had to be postponed. Like I, I haven't hid the fact that you know I'm a proud member of the LGBTQIA community, and so to see the Pride game you know, not go ahead 
in the slot that it was supposed to definitely sucks. But I'm confident that that game will be rescheduled, that the game will go ahead, that Pride Night will still happen. And who knows, maybe it will happen when I can actually make a trip down for it. (laughs) What was one thing that you'd liked from Australia's games against Turkey and Latvia? Well, I liked the complete team performance. So scoring was shared around, particularly if you look at Latvia for the tournament. Latvia was participating in, this is their first ever uh, under-18 tournament, uh, but they they have a good hockey program for the senior women's. Uh, The the men's team is ranked number 11th in the world. So they're not uh, hockey minnows. There's a strong hockey program there. And they have one player on their team, Linda Rule, who was voted uh, just earlier this morning the, uh, the the best forward of the tournament. She scored 10 goals in five games. Just ridiculous. But you could see that Latvia really relied on her and deferred to her on every occasion when they were setting up an attack. And Australia, it, you, you don't look at Australia. Australia has some talented, talented players, but uh, Australia attacked as a group. They defended as a group. They were able to play together as a team, and that was, I believe, their their strength. So that that's a positive that I saw in those two games that they were able to, uh, first of all, shut down a, a Turkey team desperate for for a goal, um, and maintain the shutout, five 0 win, and secondly, defeat a very dangerous Latvian team with a with a superstar player, and be able to to eke out a two to one victory. What about yourself? Yeah, I. I... I kind of have to go with the same thing. Just the complete all-round performance by the team. You know, everyone showed just how important that they were with the way that they operated. You know, you could tell, and this was something that we noted last week, was that it took a little bit for Australia to get into a couple of the games. But once they got into it, they were able to get into the rhythm. There was none of that here. It was Australia was in its rhythm. They were, said that um, the Aussies were all ready to go. They were all working in the system that they needed to work in. They knew exactly what they needed to do. Yes, they they, they went behind um, to Latvia and needed um, you know the two straight goals to win. But that wasn't that wasn't because they weren't working well together. It was just it was a very good goal by Latvia that. You know, a, a lot of teams would have put in the back of the net in, in any game that they were playing. And so the, the all-round performance for Australia really needs to be applauded as well as the as well as the coaching staff for helping make sure that the team is brought into the way that the, the way that they want the team to play. So so an all-round applause there, not only for the players, but for the coaching staff as well. Uh, And that buzzer means that we are out of time for the first period, but don't go anywhere because coming up next, we have an interview with the coach of the Australian men's under-20 side, Jason Quisler. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the second period here on Nat Sticks and Chill. And joining us this week is Jason Quisler, who is here to talk all things under 20 men's as the Australian under 20 men's national team gets ready for their world championships coming up in a couple of weeks in Mexico. Uh, Jason, how are you this evening? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you here. So 
obviously the the main reason we've got you on is because the it's because the men's under 20s are heading to Mexico for their world championship in a couple of weeks. What has the preparation for the campaign looked like so far? Um, it's a bit of a different preparation to previous years. Um, I heard the uh, podcast with Tamara and it's, it's very much the same where this year it was, I'm going I'm to use the word rushed. Um, you know, November we were expecting that we weren't going and then Changes in the whole COVID landscape came about. IHA contacted us and said, listen, the IIHF want to run these tournaments. I'm assuming that there's, you know, they wanted to give an opportunity to the players that would have aged out and missed out and they wanted to get the tournaments running. So it, it has been a very different process to say, you know, Bulgaria in 2019 so the national team selection policy is a little bit different we haven't been able to attend national championships um, to look at players and scout players because it's all been very rushed so the preparation is a lot different Um, uh, we we I like to prepare I've always been a big person that believed in preparing Um, so it's different you know, it's hard to even prepare for a training camp. I learned I learned the hard way in um, in in Bulgaria, and our training camp was in Liberec in Czech Republic. And I was uh, <clears throat> a person that liked to prepare. I wanted to have all my drill plans ready to go before we got there. And I was quick to learn that you can't really do that with a national team. You know, you need to factor in a number of things: the amount of ice time they're on, their the, their bodies, their tired, fatigue, the travel, the pre the the exhibition games that you play. Um, so you got to listen to the, the players and, and get a vibe from them. So the preparation this year is going to be a whole lot different, um, but exciting nonetheless. Uh, can, can you take us through the selection process? I know that you've uh, the, they've got the, the Tange, uh, Tange tournaments uh, going on at the moment, or they start tomorrow in, in Perth. Um, what, what's been the, the process for you in in how have you gone about scouting players to, to select for, for the national team? Yeah, so the selection policy is slightly different. Um, I am flying to Tange um, to catch Tange and to look at selection, like look at players for the next tournament. But with this tournament that's come around, it's um, <clears throat> Ice Hockey Australia throughout the uh, EOIs. Um, which you know meant that there was anybody that played in this age category or birth year was essentially eligible to play. Uh, we got the the AIs back. I, I can't remember the number of them. Whether it was there was a decent amount with a whole heap of questions that were specific. And you know we threw in some other questions. One of the questions that I like to throw in is, you know, like like you guys do in your, your second period, random questions. I threw out something like you know what what would you spend your last dollar on or something like that you know so i wanted to just get a feel for the guys it's not cryptic or nothing like that it's not testing their psychology just to see what sort of kind of answers you'd get whether they were fun you know obviously you don't want to see oh you know spend my last 50 bucks i think it was 50 bucks on a pack of cigarettes that's not what you want to see right but you get the idea you got some pretty funny answers and you get to see who's your kind of locker room guys and stuff like that but the EOIs went out and the players submitted their expressions of interest and then you follow up with um, background history of where they are we then spoke to a number of coaches from each state um, and got feedback though 
from them on the players that they had. They, we had numerous meetings, a selection panel was there. We also obtained footage of players. We asked them in the EOIs to submit footage. Now, I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of players that could use a little help with some video work. And it was very hard to see certain videos where they say, hey, I'm, uh, uh, I don't know, let's use 10 blue, for example. And then you're watching this tiny video zooming in, trying to go who's 10 blue and where are they on the ice? So it was very challenging and you, you rely on all the other coaches from around the country to, to give feedback. And so, yeah, it was, it was a different makeup, but you know, the, the different right now we're in a different time of year when we normally would be going, we would normally be going in January. So this year is kind of really good for us because all those international players that you wouldn't normally get, became available to us because their teams overseas. Now, there's a couple of guys that you would love to have on the team. Kale Costa is a prime example. You would love to have Kale, but you've got to understand and respect that he's playing a high level of hockey. He's coming home here for a short period of time. Yes, he's playing in the PHL right now and tearing it up, but you've got to respect that the player has been away for two years and he wants to spend time with his family and, and be home. So, you know, there's a handful of guys that, we would love to have on the roster, but the, the roster that we've put together, I think can still do a decent amount of damage. And we are quietly very confident about our trip to Mexico. Yeah, it looks, it looks like in the group, you your groups uh, initially with uh, Bosnia and, and Herzegovina, South Africa and Turkey. Uh, what, what are kind of the expectations for, uh, for, for the team? So... Just to, to to go back a step, I have, um, we've got, yeah, Turkey, South Africa, Bosnia. <clears throat> we, I have the schedule. So I know you were talking before about the, uh, the under 18s. Um, so, and I, I did listen to that. The teams do get a little bit more information than say you guys do. Um, we have access to a portal that IHF gives out so we can see when we're training, when we've got games and all that sort of stuff. So I did want to get rid of that, like, that, that analogy that was put out there analogy is not really the right word but i just wanted to bring that so our um our goals are obviously to win we're, we're not going over there players aren't spending this kind of money with out going to win right that, that that's the ultimate pinnacle goal and we have a handful of goals performance goals that we want to manage per game and um and per shift you know you got to win the one-on-one -on -one battles every time australian hockey teams have always notoriously against national teams from other countries have always been somewhat easy to bump off the puck and lose control of the puck and we find ourselves chasing so we have certain expectations for the team um, from processes where we have about 10 processes and performance goals you know we want to score at least three goals a game we want to allow less than two goals a game we want to take more than 10 shots a period so we want to at least have 30 shots a game uh, we want to have, obviously everyone wants to have hundred percent PK. All right. And you want to at least get a 50% power play. So there, there's those kind of stats as well that you want to get, um, goalies. We want to have a save percentage of, you know, 93% and above that there, you, there, that's your upper echelon. Um, and I genuinely believe that the team that we have, we can do that. Um, yeah. So. Are there any specific players that we should be keeping an eye out for throughout this tournament? You know, 
to, to follow along as, as we're all watching at home and, and why these specific plays? Or is this much like uh, Tamara mentioned with the under-18s, <laughs> watch everyone, essentially? To be honest with you, when I listened to that, I was like, that's the obvious answer, right? Like, watch everybody. <laughs> and, and, and I agree, you know, there are some solid players. But a lot of these players as well, some of the names that I'm happy to mention, you would see, you know, they, they are standouts. You can't go past Jeremy Friedrich right now. And we're so happy to have Jeremy back. You know, it was Jeremy played a pivotal role in our last um, last World Championships, and unfortunately, last year, you know, he would have had um, another shot. At, and he just fits into the category right now and is able to play. And that it, that's massive for a guy of that that caliber. So you can't go past with Jeremy. And Jeremy's just put up some massive stats in for the Adelaide Avalanche right now. Um, and I was quietly a little concerned because they're um, our backup goalie at the time and their number two goalie, um, Trenka, he went down injured in, in, on the Central Coast. So I was kind of a little bit concerned that the workload for Jeremy would, you know, um, increase right now before we, before we went away. But, you know, the kid's got a, a good, good head on his shoulders and he knows what to do and he's he, he's ready and he this is his last tournament and he wants to have a, a big impact and there's a whole heap of guys Arthur Wang has been playing overseas for oh god as long as at least for the last six or seven years now um, and you've got obviously Dmitry Kuleshov Ethan Hawes is playing a, a pivotal role right now for the North Stars AIHL team um, Eastern Robitaille is overseas Morris O'Hanley's overseas. Um, there's some up-and-coming young guys that are, you know, Justin Dixon, Riley Langill from WA. There's a whole heap of them, you know. Daniel Chen, that, that kid's got wheels. You know, I was fortunate to fly down to Adelaide and run a couple of training sessions down there and, you know, he, kid's fast. So I would say just watch everybody. <laughs> no, that, that's completely understandable. That whistle means that it is time for the penalty kill. So as I'm sure you know already, having listened to some previous episodes, penalty kill, quick fire, rapid round, a uh, bunch of questions to help us get to know you better. So let's get straight into it. Favourite band? Uh, Eminem, Imagine Dragons. Kershaw, I like everything. <laughs> Favourite kara uh, karaoke song? Gangster's Paradise by Coolio. Nice. Uh, Favourite snack food? Uh, Favorite snack? Don't really have one. Not really. Yeah, I don't really have one. What about your favorite meal? I'll ditch meal and go with dessert. I'll go for sticky date pudding. Very good. Very good. Uh, favorite travel destination? Uh, family back home in Norway. So easily always happy to go back and go to Norway um, and North America. Favorite book? Got two right now. Um, you have Beauties uh, by James Duffy, all about NHL and behind the scenes stories. Very good. I imported that from overseas. And um, Atomic Habits on Audible. Uh, favorite movie? I love movies. Uh, I'm going to say Green Street Hooligans um, would have to be one. 
um, Sicario, any, anything with a lot of action. I can't sit there and watch a rom-com or anything like that, a comedy. No one dies as sadistic as it is. It's it, There's not enough action for me. Uh, favorite TV show? Again, I'm going to go with, I've got a few here, probably Vikings, Queen of the South, Yellowstone would be up there. Um, yeah, anything like that. Uh, favorite Simpsons character? Oh, you have to go with Homer, right? But I definitely also just to throw a little mix, the, um, I can't remember his name, the little kid that always gets picked on. Ralph? Ralph, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite rink that you've ever been at? Uh, probably Pepsi Center, now Bell Arena. Got to play uh, in Colorado. It's tough. Um, the altitude's a killer. Uh, but that was easily one of the highlights. Uh, what about the worst drink? Yeah, you know what? I listened to this. You know, you could throw in Canberra. You could throw in Oakley. You could probably, I'd say, Gold Coast. But to be honest here, in my opinion, no rink's the worst rink, right? I just want to play hockey. I'll play wherever it is. So, um, yeah, that's pretty right. much it. Uh, do you have a favourite sport besides ice hockey and why? Uh, rugby union is probably my uh, favorite. Uh, and what is your favorite flavor of shapes and why? Well, not, not the why, just favorite flavor of shapes. Uh, I don't know, mate. To be honest, I don't. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I had shapes. Fair enough. Uh, so that is the penalty kill. Uh, well done for surviving that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, as, as uh, we said to our last guest, there were no right answers. So um, you know, don't don't stress. Um, but uh, look, looking at your career, you've certainly had a, a couple of decades uh, involved with ice hockey in various forms. Uh, how, how did you get into the sport? Uh, that's a great question. I live right next to um, Macquarie Centre um, and school sport. They give you the opportunity to do, I don't know, like Friday afternoon. It was like bowling. It was tennis. It was ice skating. And so I went ice skating. And the ice skating, my dad pretty much just said to me, well, you've picked this up really quickly. Would you want to try ice hockey? And I was like, I remember my response vividly. It was like, no way, mate, I'll get killed. Not a chance, not a chance. I think I was 13 at the time. So it was peewees. And uh, I was like, no way. I've, I've seen highlights of that. Not interested. My cousin decided he wanted to give it a crack. And so I gave it a crack. and then. I fell in love with it and can't did everything with it, whether it was, you know, one stage selling hockey gear here in Australia to refereeing, to coaching, to, I just couldn't get enough of it. So that was where it all started. Corey Center. You've had a very varied career. You've been on the ice, you've been off the ice, you've been in boardrooms, you've been behind the bench. You've kind of, you've kind of done it all uh, when it comes to hockey, especially here in Australia. What has that been like as an experience? And do you have anything that you preferred over the other jobs or is it all just like you enjoyed everything? Oh, I don't think you can go past playing. I thoroughly enjoy playing. Um, I love coaching. I also believed I was good at refereeing. Um, you know, I, I just, <laughs> I wanted to keep playing. Like that was pretty much it. So, you know, I've been asked, and I've been 
you know, to coach higher level teams and stuff like that. But I have a young family. I also enjoy playing. And whilst I can still play, I kind of want to still play. And I think that, you know, it takes special people to be able to go, you know what, listen, I, I just want to give away playing. I, I want a referee and I take my hat off to them. They've made that decision. And there's people that, you know, are happy to jump into coaching. Now, I, I still want to play and I can actively coach right now to certain levels while still being able to play. Um, so <clears throat> it's, uh, I have, I do feel like I've done everything. And like Tamara said, you know, you are giving back to the, to the sport that, you have got so much out of I've, I've done so much traveling with hockey i've done i've been fortunate to do state teams and now i find myself dealing with the um politics and the and the behind the scenes and it's it's tough and it wears you down but you know there's no for me there's no agenda my kids aren't playing or anything like that for me it's just to make hockey better in Australia in New South Wales and you know I'm one of the first people that's happy to send out material to other coaches or give help because I do generally believe what Tamara said we need everybody around the country on the same level playing field so if uh, you could if uh, you, you could tell someone some advice who wanted to uh, get involved with the sport or try to improve the sport grow it here in Australia what advice would you would you give them? Um, oh, one of the biggest pieces of advice is no regrets, right? So go in, go in hard, give it all you've got. That would have to be the number one thing. Um, it's, it's, it is a bit of a loaded question. There is so many things that I would love to do. I at one stage, you know, I started working on a conglomerate to build a twin rink facility in Sydney. Um, based out of Sinai Showground because, you know, we had friends and family that were on the Karingai Council board and we sort of knew that there was, they wanted to put a sporting facility in. So we started putting together some people to, that were interested in making this happen. But right now the sport needs funding. The sport needs sport uh, money. It needs um, more rinks and, you know what, some of the things that, you know, Jacob said and some of the things that Tamara said, they're, they're all correct. Um, but we also need people that are willing to, to put their time and volunteer in and have financial backing behind them. But also not just that, you know, they have an agenda to make the sport good and to develop the sport and media. Like, you know, having Foxtel and KO is great, but... I have to look at it from the other point of view. We need more media so more people join the sport. But it, it's kind of, it's like a catch-22. You, you get more people join the sport and you build up the learn-to-play programs and all that sort of stuff. And then you've got no ice time left. So yeah, there's, there's so many things. I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. I'd just say go in hard, give it as much as time as you can. But I once did hear something from another person that said, Jace, if you could give me like 5% of your time, and to work on this 5% of your time is also more valuable than say somebody giving 50% of their time that has no interest in the sport. So another good piece of advice. Yeah, that's, um, as you mentioned, that's something that's been coming up a little bit is just trying to get everyone on the same page. And, and, and it is hard, like 
like there's only so much that like you mentioned the media like there's only so much that we can do if people either like don't want to listen or don't have an interest like we can only do so much before it becomes on the people consuming the content to become more involved and and it is difficult you mentioned there's lack of ice time lack of ranks all these sorts of different issues that come up but I'm going to transition uh, away from that. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Uh, we're going to go to our starting six exercise. So you're the coach and you get to draft a team to make up a starting six for you. Uh, can be any player from any time, men's, women's, juniors, like any period, any time, go. Oh, mate, I'd have to go Roberto Luongo in, in goalie because you just look at some of the Instagram posts of that guy he's just a funny guy so you, the locker room is bound to be you know awesome with that guy so i go the one go in that i was a big rob blake fan love the hits so he'd be on my defense i'd probably put another twin tower somebody like chris bronger also in the back end so that's pretty formidable you know any forwards trying to attempt to go through there would be uh be a tough ask um you know what? I'd go Stormy. Um, I love the kid. I love the family. I had the opportunity to coach him at Tange. Um, I've seen his progression. You know, stay in touch with him and his family. Um, and he has done Australia proud. So you couldn't not reward him and have him on my roster. Um, and he's done lots for me and for the the East Coast and all the charity games that we've done. So. Uh, up front, I don't know. It's a tough one. You, you have to go some of the old school guys like Gretzky somehow managed to put the puck in the net. So let's let's throw him in there. And then um, following up with some goal scoring, I'd probably go with Vetchkin or uh, Crosby, one of the two, you know, so, or McDavid. They're all on top, on amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really hard to um, it's really hard to split them all once you get like towards the elite of the elite. Like any of them's a good option, and anyone at any time would take any of those on their team. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. You know, you, you mentioned some of the um, some of the more pressing issues. Um, you know, ring time, availability, funding for the sport. Like, which one do you think? Like, like if you had to isolate, which one would like is the most important that needs the biggest attention like yesterday like which one would that be like in your opinion um it's it's a great question and they all tie in together um so you, you need money or funding all right to get rinks and you need rinks to be able to play hockey and you need hockey rinks and people to play hockey to be able to coach them and all that sort of stuff and so you know, if you take each step, it, it all comes down to money and funding, really. Um, and a good core of people that are willing to put the, the effort in. Um, you know, it's, it's great to get accolades and do really well in coaching and win national championships and all that sort of stuff. But there is a team behind it all. Um, so, you know, everything starts with people as well. So I don't think you can 100% truly answer that question other than money and support people yeah no it's it seems to be that um uh that challenge where 
things are so linked with each other that it's hard to pick just one kind of issue as, as being the fix all kind of issue because that then produces other challenges. Um, and so for for yourself, what's what's next for you with, with your career, Jason? What would uh, you like to see yourself doing um, in, in the future? Um, I think I would probably, I guess the, the pinnacle for me really is national junior team head coach. Um, I know people want to do national senior men's team, but that's not really for me. I've always enjoyed the junior age group. Um, so whether it be, you know, just doing AJ and Tanj, you know, I did Tanj for, I think it was eight or nine years, um, and then transitioned to AJ and, and I, and I would have kept doing Tanj. I really would have, I'd still be doing it right now, which would piss a lot of people off if I'm honest with you. But, you know, I, I just enjoy that age group. Um, a lot of people have asked me when, how long till I'd start coaching in AI. And I, and I think if I'm realistic, you need to give 100% effort into all this sort of stuff. Um, and I have three young kids, you know, I've got an eight-year-old, I've got a six-year-old and I've got a two-year-old. Now my two-year-old right now is playing, not, he's not playing hockey, but he's got, I don't know, five or 10 sticks. He's got a net, he's got shooter to shooters. He's got bouncing the, the rubber that he can bounce pucks off. And he, this year he's probably made me a better player just because he's enjoying. Now I'm not forcing him to play hockey. Um, I'm not forcing any of my kids to play hockey, even though my wife played hockey with the sirens and all that sort of stuff. So he's just grasped to it. So I don't think it would be fair for me to turn around and, and put it all aside and go travel each weekend um, and leave my wife to do it. She's been an amazing support and she supports me in the off season when I'm off gallivanting around the country with AJ and, and stuff and the national team. Um, but to answer your question, it would probably be coaching the national junior team and eventually coaching in the AI. Um, I don't know when that will be. Maybe it might be sooner rather than later. It might be in a couple of years to come. That sounds like you've kind of got an idea of where you you know, where, where you want to go for, for the next five to 10 years or so. If like, like obviously like there's been a shortened season in the AOHL um, with a number of teams not competing because of various reasons, but like, like if a team were to call tomorrow, would like, would you, would you take the job right now or is your focus like for the rest of the issues? <laughs> like just like, cause there's a couple of teams with poor records going around a couple of the leagues. Like, like there, there could be that opportunity there, but, or is your focus strictly on, uh, strictly on the twenties at the moment? Um, listen, I'm enjoying playing hockey as well. You know, <laughs> some of you would, you may be aware that I've, you know, joined, jumped on with the dogs this year for a number of games. Um, and I think the last time I played AI was like 14 years ago with the Bears and Rhinos. So um, it's been fun and it's been awesome. And, you know, they're a great group of guys have been very welcoming and I've enjoyed it um, wholeheartedly. Whether I could just sort of take off and start coaching, I don't. Uh, I wouldn't be able to join mid-season or anything. I, I like to plan. I'm a I'm a planner. You know, I like I don't like surprises and stuff like that. I, I, don't get me wrong. I will always jump in and coach and help out where possible. But um, yeah, it's like the young family has me, and I'm still enjoying playing. I really am. You've you've got to get on Richard's good side, the equipment manager. Though he's he's 
he's giving you a different number every time you go out to skate. It's yeah. uh, what one week it's number two, then it's number six. What's going on there? Um, so obviously, I would <laughs> to just go back a step. Daniel Pataki is the captain, um, is my operations manager. And he, and I've known Daniel for ages. I coached him through Tangent and growing up and family, friends and all that sort of stuff. And he asked me in the Newcastle game, they were short a couple of guys and said, listen, are you interested? And I checked with the wife and I said, yep, listen, I'm happy to drive up there. I was greeted at the door by him and Cam Todd. And I was next to sort of Gary Dore and I was catching up with him. And essentially the conversation went, Hey guys, uh, happy to jump on. If you want me to do a couple of shifts, fine. If you want me to sit on the bench, I'm happy to do that too. Just let me know when you want me to go out. To which Cameron said, uh, what are you talking about? We've got 4D, you're playing. I go, oh, okay, okay. Well, I might have you know, prepared a little bit better. And then it was uh, following that, it was, um, so it's three 20 minute stop time. And I was like, what, you're kidding me, right? You're joking. And so, but about nine minutes in, I remember looking at the clock going, I'm not going to make this period. But the body, and if you know my history, you know, I've dropped 42 kilos. And so I was feeling good. And then eventually, I don't know what it is, with, but the body just said, okay, you know, you've got this and got into a rhythm. And by the end of the game, I was, I was feeling good. So they asked me to come back again. And, and here I am. I've played a handful of games and Macquarie's on my doorstep. And it's been great. Like I've been able to invite some of the kids' friends who have always wanted to watch me play and haven't been able to travel to an East Coast game because it's a little bit further away and they've got kids and it's later at night. So it is, it's been great. But Richard started off with those numbers and then all of a sudden I found myself the second game in like a goalie jersey. And I was like, dude, this is way too big. I need a smaller jersey. This is what I used to wear probably. And then... Um, yeah, so, but I've always had a good relationship with Richard, you know, so. Yeah, no, sorry, I didn't mean to imply that you didn't, but so yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's hard as an announcer or as, uh, you know, doing the, the in-rink uh, announcing when <laughs> your jersey number changes every game. Well, I've been um, promoted. I got a nameplate now. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, just, just one last one from me. As, as we mentioned, the reason we've had you on is because the under-20s are heading off to Mexico. You've mentioned you, enjoy, uh, you enjoyed North America as a travel destination. Is there any plans to maybe stay back a couple of days after the tournament ends, maybe check out some of the sites in Mexico or quick stop in North America, or is it straight back on the plane and back to Australia? Uh, if you guys knew the behind the scenes of how difficult this is actually going to be for me, um, so I have two operations managers that work under me with the two companies. And one of them, when she started with me two years ago, said, these dates, I'm away for six weeks. I'm going to Cape York and I'm taking all the time. I was like, yeah, that's two years away. Sweet, no worries. All of a sudden, IHA announces that we're going and it's like, hey, this is, you know, if you need to pull out, you can pull out. And I pulled every stop. I tell you, I've done everything in my power. I have daily sheets of where, who's going to be running what and so for me, it's get in and get out for this tournament. Um, listen, I would, and the whole, you've got the COVID protocols that I'm not sure you guys are aware of, the bubbles and all that sort of stuff that they've set. Um, it's a little bit difficult where, you know, there's not a whole lot of sightseeing where there normally would be like, let's go do a team bonding activity. You, you guys need to stay sort of somewhat isolated and adhere to the double IHF protocols. 
and they're a little bit more extensive than what they have been. Sure, it's not under 20s in worlds where we're in Canada, sorry, and we're in a 100% bubble. It's, it's not as strict as that, but, you know, they have set procedures and guidelines that we need to adhere to. Um, and up until, uh, I think it was about three or four weeks ago, I still hadn't caught COVID. So I was joking around going, like, I, I'm not testing every day. I'm, I'm going to go to Royal North Shore Hospital and lick the windows if I have to and catch it before I go so that I, so that I got it and, and, and I could just tick that box. And fortunately, I did get it. And so now I've got my certificates ready to go so that I can go, yep, sweet, no testing for me. Um, so, yeah, it's between that and work and it's going to be get in and get out. And, and we've, you know, Mexico would be a great place to, to check out, but let's let's be real. It's it's not one of the ideal places that you want to take, um, you know, twenty adolescent males sightseeing around. Um, I could think of other places that I would rather. Sure, if we were stopping by Cancun, it might be a little bit interesting, but yeah. No, that that's completely understandable. Um, Gordon, do you have any more questions before we wrap this up? No, I think that's that's been really um, it's been really nice having a chat, Jason. Thanks for making the time. I, I know that your schedule is busy. I know you've got Tange on, but it's it's always nice to to get some you know behind the scenes uh, comments of, before the tournament comes up, some some coverage, and uh, yeah, I'll I'll be pestering you for some for some more info during the tournament if that's, that's okay. That's, yeah, that's fine. I'd be like I. <clears throat> I have spoken to Dave Ruck and we would like to get more of a, um, I guess, a behind the scenes out there, like a look out to our supporters back home. You know, it is hard work and it is very full on. Um, we do go back and do a lot of video at night and then we cut video and then it might be two o'clock in the morning before you finally get to sleep and then you've got pre-games to get the next morning. But this tournament with two teams pulling out, one team dropping from each pool, it has meant that there were there's a few more extra days. So hopefully we can get a little bit more of that content out to you guys um, and, you know, stuff like that. But can I also just make a, a shout out to, um, to a few people, um, Ken Lambert and PHA do a, a great job with all the uniforms and stuff like that um, and Skaters Network and Avalon Training who get the uniforms. And it's been difficult for all of these people um, because of, the stuff that's going on with the supply chain and all that sort of stuff. So the guys aren't going to be in some of the kits that they're used to, but a big shout out also to um, Lululemon who have uh, come on board and given us a little bit of a hand here to get some tracksuits for the boys sorted at very short notice. So yeah, big shout out for those people and, and a lot of the other stuff, you know, the management team behind the scenes that are doing stacks. Um, it's been such a rush. I, I can only imagine. I can only imagine it would um, that it would be, you know, like trying to put together international flights at short notice, trying to book accommodation. Like as as as, as I understand it, um, I believe the team's flying out to like so so all the um, so all the players based in other states are all flying into Sydney, I believe, before yeah everyone so, before so you all fly flying. out to Vancouver. Is it before you head down to Mexico? Yeah, so we fly in. So everyone from all the other states is flying in Sydney on the 13th, and then the team departs in early the 14th. And we've met in Vancouver um, with uh, all the players that are in North America right now. 
and then we have a short brief training camp in Vancouver in Langley um, and we are <clears throat> graced with a, an Australian goalie that's over there as well um, who is younger um, but we have asked him to to join us um, to just give us an extra goalie take the workload off some of the, the goalies as well um, and also just to look in the future and then we fly to Mexico and we go straight into I guess tournament mode but it is very different to the last lot like you would smashed with games um, in a short space of time this is a very laid out like we you know just looking at the schedule right now we we play the 22nd and the 23rd and then we have a rest day and then we play the 25th and then we have a rest day and then we have semi-finals and then we have a rest day and then we have more finals um so it is <clears throat> it, it's different this year yeah i, I can i can only imagine like again like just how just how hard, hard it is because you know, you don't want to be keeping all these players in bubbles for too long if you're the double IHF. Um, like, like it's nothing like what we saw for the for the World Juniors, or the, I should say the ill-fated uh, World Juniors um, in late December, early January, which has been rescheduled for early August, if memory serves me correctly. But, you know, and, and hopefully in future years, you can go back to a, to a more relaxed schedule and you might get a chance to do a little bit of sightseeing and stuff like that, you know, team bonding, all that, all that sort of good stuff that you don't get a chance to do. Um, no, you're not going to get a chance to do otherwise here, but uh, Jason Quizler, thank you so much for joining us this week on Net Sticks and Chill. And we look forward to following along, um, watching, so watching, uh, watching Australia compete. Appreciate it. Thanks for the uh, support and thanks for your time. Uh, and that buzzer means that we are out of time for the second period. We once again thank Jason for joining us, but don't go anywhere because coming up next, as promised in the third period, our discussion for this week is going to be heavily focused on the final day of play at the under-18s women's, where we're going to break down that 2-1 victory for Australia over the Netherlands, as well as the gold medal game between Spain and Great Britain. Welcome into the third period. Let's get straight into it. We'll start with the gold medal game first. It's 3-1 victory um, by Spain over Great Britain to round out the tournament. We did get a good look at Spain being, uh, given that they were part of Australia's initial group, that was a... So that was a 4-1 loss for Australia in the first group stage. Uh, to Spain, it was a 5-1 loss in the exhibition game. Uh, and Spain pulling out an 11-0 victory over Iceland during that first group stage. Uh, then 4-0 victories in the secondary group stage uh, over Great Britain and the Netherlands. This really was Spain's tournament, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And from, from that very first match against Iceland, I mean, you, you, we, we hadn't really seen many much of these teams throughout the tournament, but... As, as soon as, you know, they, they shipped 11 goals past Iceland in the first two periods and basically gave up, um, you know, uh, attacking for the third, concentrating on resting their players. Like, as soon as, as I thought, as I saw that, I, I knew it was going to be a, a difficult match for Australia. I didn't expect them to 
decimate the complete tournament the way that they did. They uh, allowed only two goals all tournament, one to Australia and then one in the in the gold medal match. And Claudio Castellanos, like what a superstar, nine goals, two assists uh, for the tournament, really powering that uh, Spanish uh, power play uh, and 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 offense. Um, I think Spain ended up with it with a power play percentage of 35% or thereabouts. Uh, just ridiculous uh, work by Spain. Um, and Australia scored uh, a power play goal against them. I think Spain's power play penalty killing percentage was 95%. So just a dominant, dominant performance. And you, you could perhaps make an argument that if Australia isn't grouped with Spain in that initial part of the tournament, that they are contending for a gold medal, perhaps, uh, uh, you know, earning a silver instead of bronze. But that's a, that's a, a debate for another time. You know, second highest penalty kill in the tournament for Spain, 95.24%. Um, just second to the Netherlands at 95.65%. So, you know, nothing to, you know, not a lot separating, you know, separating the two sides. Both sides only conceding one power play goal against, you know, it's, yeah, it was a very tough outfit. Sorry, it was a very tough challenge for anyone to come up against Spain. And, you know, they absolutely showed a good offense, good defense, excellent on special teams. Their power play percentage was at 34.7%. Like, that's, you know, that, that that's, like, if this was the NHL, that's, you know, one of the best, if not the best um, power play in the entire league. Like, that's just a percentage that... You know, it, it's it's very hard to it's very hard to achieve a percentage like that. But what you know, it was eight it was eight goals off twenty three power play opportunities. Like what that allows Spain to do is it allows them to just work and grind down the opposition with that player advantage. You know, you, you force you force players to be out there longer. You force them into roles they're not used to, and it's you shift the puck around. So even though you're not scoring, you're taking you're taking full advantage of the opportunity and the fact that you're converting at such a high clip is, you know, it is absolutely, um, is absolutely insane. Like it's, it's just, it's good to say, because, because when you think European powerhouses, you don't think Spain and like the fact that they've won this tournament, it shows that, Spain have a core on its women's program that's going to be there for a while. You mentioned Claudia Castellanos. You know, like she is, she was so impressive throughout this tournament, and you know she's going to be such a big part of that uh, that Spanish core for a long time to come in its women's program, which could see them, you know, start to compete a lot better and a lot more with some of the more traditional European powerhouses of hockey. Um, so, like, for me, that's, you know, I think that there's no shame in how Australia performed against Spain, and I don't think there's any shame for any of the sides that actually lost against Spain. But we'll move on now to Australia's game against the Netherlands. As I mentioned, it was a 2-1 victory. We, we were talking before we came on. Like, the, there were a couple of times throughout that game where I started to get a little bit nervous that Australia was... You know, they were going to struggle, that it, that it wasn't going to happen, that it was going to be having stayed up till 2 a.m. just to be disappointed. Um, you know, but it didn't, that didn't end up happening. How did, how did you see this game, Gordon? 
Well, uh, another game where Australia fell behind relatively early. Uh, they they fell behind early against Latvia and, and and battled back in that one. And and again, they they fell behind uh, early to um, Netherlands. Created some good chances. They uh, it, it was an unfortunate bounce. The the Netherlands forward uh, skated into the slot, fired a backhand shot that, that hit the crossbar, bounced up. Olivia Last couldn't see it. They hit the back of her helmet and trickled into the net, and that's just terrifying uh, as a as a goaltender. And um, but Australia again uh, within just over two minutes later, they they scored an equalizer. Phoebe Roberts was uh, sensational coming off the bench, uh, intercepting the puck from the the clearing attempt, uh, firing a shot on goal, and then following up the rebound and, and putting it home with a backhand effort. So, you know, after 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 that, you could see Australia kind of settle down a little bit but this was a tough match this wasn't like any of the other uh victories that australia had where they outshot the opposition and outchanced the opposition this was a a back and forth a battle uh, with with a really tough team um what did you make of it of, of the start yeah so so for the start i thought that there were a couple of too many icings going on early on and australia was kind of just inviting pressure from the netherlands and, and that's a testament to the way that the netherlands started this game that they were forcing australia to make those icings just to get the puck out of the defensive zone you know if we it was and this is despite the fact that australia had 11 11 shots on goal in the first period compared to 10 for the netherlands you know it, it shows that it was kind of like if you split, you know, like the old cliche is a game of two halves. But this was kind of like a period of two halves. It was very much dominated by the Netherlands early on. And then Australia kind of like settles down and, you know, comes back in the second half of the first period. That goal, I wasn't quite sure what had happened at first because it happened so quickly. And then you see the replay and it's like, and you get to see it in a little bit slow motion. So you see the puck come off the crossbar, you see it go into the air, you see it bounce off the back of the mask. And it's just like, and so you just sit there and it's like, like that's just like the worst goal to concede. Like, because it's just so unlucky. Like, it's, it's an absolutely brutal goal to concede because there's nothing that you can do about it unless you have eyes in the back of your head. And we know that, you know, humans don't have eyes in the back of their head. And then, and then you see Roberts get the get the cut back, and that was um, and so that was just a nice little bit of play there to to find the equalizer, and, and so that was kind of how I saw the first half of it. Then I, I kind of, then you see Natasha Dubé take the um, take the hooking penalty, and it's like you mentioned in your preview, like you you wanted to keep this a five on five. You didn't want the special teams to kind of take over this game. And so, like, whilst that was the game's first penalty, it's like, okay, Australia's taking the first one. That's not ideal. But Australia managed to weather the storm, and then they had a power play five seconds to end the period, which carried over into the second for a minute 55. So it was it was a good it was a good rally back by Australia in the in the first period, which um, you know at one one. It would stay that way for quite a long time. Was there anything that you noticed in the second period that stood out? Well, I, I think Olivia Last. Uh, we we talked before the tournament that this team 
was likely going to go as far as Olivia Lass would take them. Just, you know, that being how it goes in such a shortened tournament format. And she kept the team in the game and shut down the Netherlands time and time again. I thought the Netherlands had some excellent scoring opportunities, particularly at the start of the period. And Olivia Last, uh, one thing that she does, and I mentioned this in an article, one thing that she does exceptionally well is uh, not only saving the first shot, but but smothering the puck. So there's no rebound, there's no second chance opportunity. She, she did that exceptionally well throughout the the second period, I thought. And you know, Australia, they they did take uh, some penalties. But, you know, maybe they read my article about their penalty kill only being 70%, wanted to boost the numbers because they got it up to 82. So um, very respectable by the Australian penalty killers. Yeah, there was um, there was that period uh, midway through the second where it was back-to-back penalties, um, one for hooking, one for roughing, you know, three seconds after each other, which was two five-on-four. It was essentially a five-on-four for four minutes if you're taking a double minor there. Um, you know, as and again, I mentioned in the... So I mentioned that during the first period, it was kind of like, oh, no, like, you, you, the panic station started to settle in a little bit, and that could have been the fact that it was... It was like 12.30 at the morning at this point. Like, you're starting to get tired. Um you know, you know, watching it, but then Australia managed to survive, survive both those penalty kills, um, in part because Olivia last stand uh, was absolutely standing on her head. Um, and then Australia gets power play opportunity, not able to convert on it, but they're kind of able to balance out some of the penalty killing time that they've just taken in terms of forcing the Netherlands to be in that situation. You know, we mentioned just how good, you know, Spain was on the power play you know, being able to exhaust their opponents, making them, making them play out of position. And so getting the opportunity to do that almost immediately after you've been at five on four can kind of just allow the game to get back into its into its natural rhythm at 5v5. We'll jump into the third period now, looking looking at that. Ebony Bryant opens the scoring 8-16 into the, into the third period and what would be the game-winning goal you know, that was that was just a good bit of work. It was getting the puck in deep. It was not giving up possession. And then it was just creating the overlap in front of the net and essentially allowing, I, I don't want to say it was an easy shot into the net by any stretch of the imagination, but it looked like it was just a little bit too easy to get that puck into the net. Yeah, uh, I, I think... The, the whole play is set up by the forecheck, the cycle. Phoebe Roberts is skating from behind the net and does a beautiful little spin move to uh, throw throw off the, the Netherlands uh, defender, fires a puck on net that's initially saved. I think it's Elizabeth Marshall that, that takes control of the puck uh, behind the net for Australia and then passes it in front to Brunt, who just, you know, smashes home the the um the the pass so uh and again an excellent um team play by australia if you were going to uh isolate one goal that epitomizes epitomizes this australian team and on what they look to achieve on the attack i think that's the goal that demonstrates it um a you know a, a shot that generates a rebound a cycle a good pass and and putting it into the net from you know within that um 
that home plate area in front of the crease. So um, an excellent, excellent goal from Australia. And and I was pretty excited at, at the at the time to see them take a lead for the first time. Yeah, it, it was definitely it was definitely a goal that lifted lifted the spirits of those watching at home. And uh, I, I'm only speaking for me here, um, which means I speak for everyone. Um, <laughs> but no, it was it, it was exciting. Like it was that get out of your it was that get out of your chair sort of thing. It was get pumped up. It was none of that. Like none of the like none of the negativity from the first two periods mattered. It was all optimism from that point. Australia's going to win. They're going to do it. They're going to do it. You know and. Uh, I had the draft tweets lined up, ready to go. You know, Australia's one. You know, like I had those all ready to go to hit to hit Sanders. Like uh, I just had the feeling at that point that it was not that the lead was not changing again. That it was going to be it was going to be Australia's night. But not long after that goal, you get the um, you get a brief five on three after two penalties by the Netherlands before an offsetting penalty saw so it go back to four on four, like. Was like that period of play? Like, did you like how, how did you see that brief, you know, few minutes of play there where it was where it was all special teams in that third period? Well, you know, again, I think you mentioned that I wrote that I wrote about this that, that the Netherlands style of play really encourages that. And you can see some of the stuff that they did after the whistles in the second period. You saw Olivia Last get knocked down kind of accidentally on purpose uh, by the by the the Netherlands player and you know that was a potentially scary moment to see her kind of lying on on the ice for uh, a few seconds so uh, I think the Dutch team were were happy if this became a, a special teams kind of scramble and you know it, uh, Australia kind of they could have been a little more disciplined maybe but but they they ended up you know surviving um, they, they could have scored a, a power play goal there, you know, you use that opportunity to put the game out of reach, but, you know, it didn't happen, but they, they showed enough character to be able to, to keep focused and um, deny the Netherlands really any realistic scoring chances the rest of the way. Yeah, and it, it certainly didn't help the Netherlands that with just under five minutes ago, they took another minor penalty this time for too many players. Like, it was... It, it took me a second to work out exactly what that penalty was for, and then you see the shot of the referee just hold up six fingers, and it's like, like that is like you could tell at that point the Netherlands were starting to get nervous. They were starting to get, um, they were starting to get frazzled. It was, it, it was almost like the wheels were starting to fall off, because that is not a penalty that you should be taking that late into a game with so much on the line, and you could just tell that the occasion was kind of just starting to get to them a little bit. And while Australia was not able to capitalise on the ensuing power play, they did manage to hold on for the 2-1 victory. You know, Arwen Tinkate gets pulled with a minute 32 to go and Netherlands just unable to capitalise on the 6-on-5 generated. Uh, they had a couple of good chances there, but, you know, some good goaltending from last and some excellent defence from Australia, you know, who, who almost had a couple of empty netters in there as well. Just, be, um, you know, it was the puck just going wide of the net or, you know, the, the, the Netherlands players just being able to get back and, you know, to stop the puck from reaching the net to keep them in it. You know, it was, it was a very, very good performance by Australia overall. So that is, 
you know, so that's kind of basically a complete wrap of how the Netherlands and Australia bronze medal game went. Is there anything else that you want to say on the game, Gordon? Something that maybe we didn't touch on that you noticed? Um, no, I think we've we've done a, a, a good job so far, like covering it. I, I think the the Netherlands could perhaps feel uh, a little bit aggrieved about about not winning, considering the scoring chances that they generated. But um, you know, Australia were a strong enough team to be able to to over overcome the 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 opposition, and I feel Australia, uh, given the tournament as a whole. They deserve to take something home. They deserve to medal. So I'm, I'm, I'm personally going to put on my I put on my partisan hat, and say uh, Australia deserve to win and, and good for them. Yeah, Australia definitely deserve to get something out of that. They, they played incredibly well all throughout this tournament. And you know, you mentioned it. Were it not for having Spain in the group, they very easily could have been, you know, walking away with silver instead of instead of bronze but a medal is a medal you finished on the podium you know that's absolutely that's absolutely nothing to balk at in the grand scheme of things especially given like we spoke to Tamara a couple of weeks ago just kind of how rushed the preparation was for this we mentioned that there were um that there were some small issues with the with the way the scheduling was being put together you know, and we and we saw um we saw that the the men's under twenties is a little bit more organised on that front, which Jason mentioned in the second period. I, I do want to give I do want to give some praise to the IIHF here. We were incredibly critical at the lack of coverage provided to other tournaments, specifically you know Division Two B of our senior women's team, uh, because it was going on at the same time as the men's worlds. The IIHF were very good at providing coverage for this tournament. There were a number of articles written on the website. Um, and sorry, on the IIHF website, you know, there was social media posts going out about it. So I just, I want to say, you know, we were critical of the IIHF. I don't know whether they listen to this podcast, you know, but like, if we're going to criticize, we have to praise when they're doing something right. And this was something that they did right. And they made sure that this tournament and this should be, you know, looking at it, this should be the way the coverage should be provided for all the tournaments, is it should be as close to equal coverage as possible. Yes, there's commercial requirements that come with something like the like the Men's World Championship that mean that, you know, coverage might have to be weighted a little bit heavier in that direction, but you still should be having coverage that that, that shows there's at least something there that's going on. And so the fact that the IIHF was able to do that this time, you know, for me, deserves some applause. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go um, uh, a little bit off board and kind of contradict that a little bit. Uh, I, I think that the IIHF, they, they stopped providing photos of the tournament after day three uh, on their website, even though there is still a photographer. So they haven't, they haven't managed to upload uh photographs they've um provided some tweets uh, some articles which which i agree is is excellent they provided i think one on um, the dutch captain on um claudia castellanos they provide an article on linda rule uh they provided an article pre-tournament on uh, iceland and an article pre-tournament on turkey but they haven't really provided 
much in the way of scores. In fact, there's a there's an uh, a IHF Gaming E World Championship that's currently on that they pro have provided uh, scores consistently and tweets daily on on that tournament. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go a little off board and uh, say that while they have certainly done more than they did uh, last month for the or in May for the Women's World Championships, the the coverage is still not a great. Or, or ideal, but but congratulations to them for actually putting out some articles uh, during the tournament. Uh, that that was excellent. I mean, look, as you mentioned, um, you know the the gaming championships. Look, there's probably some commercial requirements there. You know, e-gaming is absolutely massive, and you know, I'm, and so there's probably some, as I said, commercial requirements there. Like, it could be better, but it could also be a lot worse. That buzzer means that we are out of time for the third period, and that means that we are out of time for this week's show. So thank you very much, Gordon, for joining us. As always, this week, uh, giving his opinions, you know, his thoughts on all things related to Australian ice hockey. Uh, we're not going to have any tournament coverage uh, for a couple of weeks in terms of in terms of the national teams. So. I have no idea what direction next week's show is going to take, but I'm sure it'll be absolutely fun. What, what, what do you think, Gordon? Yeah, well, I think we there's, you know, what what, a, what an interview we had with Jason Quisler. You know, we've, we've got a lot to look forward to in a couple of weeks. We've certainly had, you know, um, um, some excellent world championships to cover, both last month or, sorry, in May. I keep thinking it's June, but uh, <laughs> both in May. And then, and then the tournament now, the under-18 women's, two uh tournaments two medals uh let's see if the men can make it three from three but no it's um well I, i'm sure there's there's plenty of, of good things going on in domestic hockey there's the the tange tournament which is currently being played which is the uh, in, uh over in perth which is all the um uh different state teams under 18 state teams get together and, and play in a tournament um so we we can potentially talk a little bit about that to see um who's who's who won that tournament um but yeah plenty of good things happening in australian ice hockey yeah, well if our interview with jason is anything to go by australia's going to make it three from three in terms of the medal count because they're going over to win and that's what we want to hear um for gordon good enough my name is stephen paletti thank you for listening and we will talk to you next week